0: Hi, this is Kevin Calabro. You're watching and listening to On The Board Sports Podcast.
1: Welcome back to another edition of the On the Board Sports Podcast. I am your host, William Trucci, a.k.a. will see coming from Long Island, New York, Nassau County. We have a very, very special guest with us. And I am, I'm hyped for this one because it's been a long time coming. Joining me from Brooklyn, New York is the one and only Smush Parker. Smush, long time, big fan of yours, as you can see. And for the people out there on YouTube and stuff, yeah. I'm wearing your hoodie.
0: You're wearing your logo. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me. I know we've uh, been in contact, you know, uh, for quite a while, trying to get this to work. You know, I thank you for your patience. But we, I'm finally here. And, you uh, know, um, again, like I said, thank you for having me. I'm feeling good. And, um, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited for the future. Actually.
1: Absolutely. Let's talk about the future first before anything here. I'm wearing your hoodie. You're wearing your hoodie right now with Twitch Parker elite. Tell the people how they can go out there and buy your gear and talk about what you're trying to do right now. Because if, if I understand this correctly, you're trying to be a referee right now.
0: Yeah. So, um, right now you're wearing, um, my logo. That's my, that's my logo. That's my brand. Um, it's not really a clothing line. I don't consider it a clothing line. Um, you know, um, I, I created a brand. I created a logo because I wanted to uh, bring awareness of what I was doing with the kids in the uh, in the community, in the inner cities, uh, through my nonprofit, Smushin', uh, Smush Inspires. Um, I, I host free basketball and clinics uh, for kids. And I just needed, you know, um, some help. <laughs> you know, uh, everything I've done has been out of pocket, but, you know, any sponsors and donations would be, uh, would be greatly appreciated. So I created this logo just to kind of brand myself and bring awareness as to what I was doing in the community. So I don't consider it a clothing line and I appreciate you for supporting. You know, uh, you purchase a hoodie and you're rocking it right now and it looks good. Um, but what I, um, I'm in career number two, I should say, cause I'm retired completely from playing basketball. And that's what I'm working towards right now. So I am, I am a full-time basketball referee. I'm at the high school level and working my way up through the stages.
1: Talk to us about just being a referee. How hard is that test? I've had a friend of mine that took the test. Referee, you know, you got to go out there. You got to watch the play. You got to watch for a foul. You got to watch everything going on on the court. Uh, just talk to us about being doing that because that within itself is definitely. Uh, a hard thing to do, somewhat.
0: No. Well, I uh, being on this side of the uh, the lines, I've I've learned a lot, and it's uh, it's not easy being a referee. Um, it's not an easy job. It's not an easy task. And as a player, I always thought that referees never knew what the hell they were doing. <laughs> I always thought they needed my help. As um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm learning that there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of um. Technique. Uh, there's a lot of things that I didn't know as a player. That referees, uh, the, the information that they know about the game that, as players, that you know we don't know all the time. You know, so it's a field. It's not gonna be an easy task for me to make it to the NBA as an official. But I'm I'm confident in myself, and I I, um, I know I know that uh, I can do it. You know, and I and I will I will go on record and say that it might be harder for me to make the NBA as a referee than it was as uh, as a player. Is is that competitive?
1: Absolutely. There's referees all over the place, and you know they're trying to buy, You know how it goes, trying to go out there, trying to get that next job. One question I have for you before we move on uh, to basically about you at this point, this gather step, it, it it's eating away at me because. I, Growing up with you and myself playing the game, obviously, it's two steps for traveling. If it, you know after anything after two steps, it's considered a travel. Now they came out in 2018 and they have basically this gather step and then two steps. That's legal. Uh, can you talk to us about about that gather step rule because it it, it for me anyway. it's you No, know I'm crazy. still learning.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm still learning what a travel is and what a travel is not. Um, when I was growing up, you know, I was taught two steps and you got to go in the air. Whether you jump and lay the ball up or you jump and pass the ball, you have to leave your feet. Uh, now, you're allowed two steps and you don't have to, you know, leave your feet. You can actually pivot out the two after the two steps. You can, they're, they're, the moves that you're allowed to do uh, was forbidden when I was a player. You know, so um, the game is always changing, is evolving, the rules are always changing, they're evolving. So there's not just uh, a one time you learn the rules and that's it. No, you know, as a referee, you have to continue to grow because the game changes. So, you know, the way we officiate the game changes.
1: Smush, I got to ask you this now, okay? Where did the love for basketball begin for you growing up in New York? And where did the name Smush come from?
0: Okay. Uh, The love of the game actually came from, you know, before I was even born, you know, um, I was, I I say, you know, all the time and you will never, you will never hear me defer from this, but uh, I was born with a basketball. My mom played basketball. My dad played basketball and when my mom was pregnant, she was always at the games watching my dad play. So I was always around the beat of the game, you know. So um, when I was born, I was just born into a family of basketball players. And, uh, you know, and I, I don't know a life without basketball. And it, it's been fun for me uh, when I was younger to now. So that's why I, I never, I never, I never walked away from it. And the name Smush, um, interesting. Um, It was actually a a pet name given to my dad, actually from my mom. And when I was born, I just became Smush Junior. Smush,
1: you went to Newtown High School in Queens. Then you went over to Southern Idaho for two years. And then you went to Fordham University. Okay, you went to Fordham University for two years. Talk to us about the New York hoop scene growing up for you and then trying to get yourself into that D1 atmosphere where you were and getting yourself up to Fordham?
0: Well, um, my upbringing is actually uh, what shaped and molded me as a player, and it shaped and molded me as to the toughness that I needed to actually make it to the NBA. Um, when I was growing up, like I said, I, I my dad played the game, so I was always with, with my dad. When, whenever he went to the basketball court, whenever he was at the, at the gym, I was with him, and I grew up in an environment where, I always played against kids older than me, and I always played against men who were older than me. I never played in an environment where I was playing nine versus nine-year-olds, or I was ten playing against ten-year-olds. I didn't. My first time playing in the in an organized game was when I was thirteen. And by that time, you know, because I had been playing my entire life up until that point against kids older than me, I had developed, you know, skills in such a way that played against my own age, I was just head and shoulders above everybody. And it just continued. You know, I never played, you know, my own age group, I always played up. So by the time I got to like the college level, you know, I knew what it took to, you know, persevere, to overcome, you know, um, bigger and stronger opponents, you know, overcome obstacles. And um, it, it, it helped a lot when I got to, you know, the D1, when I got to college, went overseas. Like you said, I went to uh, college in Southern Idaho. Um, you no, know, it, it, it definitely helped.
1: Now, I gotta ask you this because growing up high school, you weren't. Were you an AAU kid? And how do you feel about the AAU c- scene?
0: Um, I wasn't an AAU kid. Um, back when I was uh, a teen, I didn't know much about. I didn't know. I knew about AAU. My AAU. I don't know if you uh, if you're familiar. With New York but City and recreational centers were big here in New York City. And I used to play for the McBurney YMCA. We used to play other days around and around. So it was like first AAU travel team, but we didn't call it AAU. It was just YMCA versus YMCA or recreational center versus recreational center. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a, a junior, going into my senior, year, when I AAU scene and that's when I actually played for my first AAU team which was AIM High but that wasn't until I was a uh, senior in high school. No because I've heard of gauchos
1: and you know being big and everything like that up in the Bronx and all over New York City. Uh, So you went on to Fordham you played two years over there and then you went over to the NBA. You were undrafted you got you got signed by Cleveland. This is before LeBron and this is the year before lebron excuse me so talk to us about the travel yep. from going from playing at fordham to going undrafted and then playing in that in that year uh before lebron because that that cavalier team as we all know throughout history from a fan's perspective it was bad but it was kind of it, it had some young stars on that team can you talk to us about that cleveland cavaliers team from 2002 03 oh yeah
0: Definitely. Um, I always got, shout out Cleveland. Um, I got love for Cleveland. Um, it was my first, uh, stop my, uh, NBA journey. Um, I'm glad they gave me an opportunity. I worked my butt off to make the team. And like you said, yeah, they definitely have some young stars and you know uh, their third round did, th- excuse me, their third pick in the first round. With um, then their second round pick with Carlos Boozer. Was, uh, they were rookies when I was a rookie. And then you had Ricky Davis and Darius Miles, Jermaine Jones, Jonas Elgaskis. I mean, he wasn't young, but the Big Z. He was uh he was a good guy. Um our veterans was Tyrone Hill and uh uh Bimbo Coles. We had Chris Mim also. So, you know, it was a it was a a coalition of young guys. And you know, we weren't the greatest team, but the camaraderie was good. You know, um, it was it was a fun year. You know, we took care of ourselves, uh, we took care of each other, and we played hard. We you know we we wanted to win. We tried to win. We weren't trying to lose like everybody uh, thought we were. I don't know what uh, the organization wanted to do, but I know as players, we were going out there and competing every night.
1: Absolutely. And John Lucas was your coach too that year, no? John Lucas, yes, sir. John Lucas, the great John Lucas. So you go overseas to Greece and then you come back into the NBA in 04-05 with playing with the, the champion Detroit Pistons. And then you go over yep. and you play with the, the fast-paced, high-rising Phoenix Suns offense, the seven seconds or less offense with Mike D'Antoni, Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, all those guys over there. Uh just talk to us about that experience over there, man.
0: Okay. So yeah, my uh I played the next season, like you said, overseas in Greece, won a championship out in, uh, in Greece uh, with team Aris came back uh, with the Detroit Pistons. They had just come off their championship uh, season. So I had just missed winning a championship with the Detroit Pistons by a few months. Um, but, you know, they had a great team. Of course, I know that the great uh, Tayshaun Prince, uh, Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, uh, Derek Coleman, Darwin Ham. Um, I mean, it was a it was a great uh, Lindsey Hunter. Right. Um, it was a great team. Um, uh, Larry coached by Larry Brown. You know. Um, so when I got there, they didn't really need me. I was a young guy. They had a team full of vets. You know. I, I stayed on the team for about you know four months, and you know they released me. Um, went down to the D, the D League. Uh, played a few games, got a couple call-ups with the uh, Phoenix Suns, and you know, playing behind Steve Nash, you know, uh, you know that offense. That, that was a you know high-powered, fast-paced. You know, Maurice Ademire, those guys, Sean Marion, um, Leon Barbosa. I mean, those guys were um, those were those guys were good. They were good at the time. And um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't stick with that team, No, you know, finish the season down in the D league with the Florida flame, but they definitely gave me and I, I It was a great, it was a great experience.
1: The following year, you go over to Los Angeles and you basically were an unknown in LA. You worked hard to get up to the Lakers playing squad and you went through the, G, uh, the, the summer league to get there and. You basically had to fight your way to get into that starting rotation. And you played 82 games in 05-06 and 06-07. Talk to us about your time in LA, because as a Laker fan, I remember you as a Laker. And I could talk about game four of the 2006 first round and you having that great, great series going up against Nash. And funny enough, yet you were a teammate with him uh, a year prior. Uh, so you kind of knew, and Phil Jackson likes his big guards. You were a big guard at that time, a tall guard at that, playing the point guard position. Uh, Talk to us about your time in Los Angeles with the Lakers.
0: Man, uh, where do I start? You know, uh, I will start by saying I played for the NBA's most historic franchise in NBA history. Uh, Played for the NBA's most um, decorated coach in NBA history. One of the greatest of mine. And I, uh, you know, laced him up and started in a backcourt with one of the greatest basketball players to ever play, this, play the game of basketball. That's right. You know, um, with that said, what more what can I say? Um, it was a, it was a, uh, it was a, a great opportunity. You know, I definitely worked my butt off. I wasn't expecting to be a starting guard. I was just coming in to work my, my, my butt off to, you know, make the squad like I did with the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Phoenix Suns and the Detroit Pistons. And, you know, uh, it just so happened that, you know, my work and my work ethic, you know, uh, worked me right into the starting lineup. You know, I, I love playing in the triangle offense, although it didn't suit my strengths. I would, it didn't suit my strengths as a player, uh, but I was able to adapt to the uh, system, at the system of the triangle offense, and I picked it up pretty quickly, and um, <laughs> and I, I, just, I must, the seasons took off. Talk to us about
1: playing with one of the greatest players to ever do it, my one of my favorites to ever play, and may he rest in peace, uh, Kobe Bryant, because that must have been a uh, something to go out there and to play with the aforementioned great.
0: Um it was it was uh it was an experience. It was a uh, awesome experience. Like I said, one of the greatest basketball players to ever lace him up to go out there and you know uh start with him. You know, to in the start lineup with, you know the great Kobe Bryant, you know, the great Lamar Odom with, you know, uh Kwame Brown, Chris Mim, Luke Walton and then those guys, Brian Cook. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was, it was awesome, you know, just going out there and competing every day, uh, Competing every night, you know, against other great teams, other great players. I mean, and, uh, and then to watch him, you know, uh, you know, take on challenges. You know, one of the, the biggest things that, one of the biggest takeaways that I, you know, took away from playing with Kobe is how he attacked every game how he competed against all the other great players. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was just some experience.
1: I got to talk to you about game four of 2006 against the Suns in the first round, because that game, you guys were down at one point in time. And throughout the series, you guys kept it close. Nobody gave the Lakers a shot in that series in 2006. And yet you guys are up two games to one. You guys were coming back in that game. You had a key three prior to the the steal from Steve Nash on that inbounds play. I'll never forget that. Uh, and then you were you were involved somewhat at the end with the with the game winning shot with Kobe. Uh, just talk to us about that whole sequence of events that happened in in Game Four. Uh, on on that Sunday, because you guys were wearing those Laker white uniforms that you usually wear on Sundays, uh, just talk to us about that moment.
0: Um, man, where do I start? The playoffs, the, the playoffs is a different animal. I've never experienced anything like that. You know, the, the intensity of the game, the uh, importance of every game. It was something. It was it was it was an experience. You know, and uh, I didn't have the greatest series. I would have liked to have played, but I think I put too much pressure on myself, but I went out there and, you know, I played hard. And, uh, you know, I was playing Steve Nash, you know, coming off, he was MVP season. Um, he, he was a hard matchup, you know, but uh, my role that that series was to, you know, face guard him, you know, for 48 minutes. And, uh, you know, I wasn't able to stop him on every play, but, you know, I had my moments of, you know, um, success where I was able to, you know, get a couple of steals, get my hands on a, a couple of basketballs and, you know, get deflections and make him turn an extra, you know, two or three times in the backcourt. Uh, but that was my job was to try to wear him down. Uh, we knew that uh, he was the motor of the Phoenix, uh, Phoenix offense. So my job was to try to get the, run the motor out. Um, but that, that game, you know i was able to uh you know we were down like you said i was able to hit a, a big three-pointer you know we were down by five i was able to hit a big three um with a i don't know like 30 there was 30 seconds left on the, uh on the on a the clock mm-hmm. then i come up with a big steal you no know, i just anticipated you know where he was going uh with, it, with the dribble and i was able to get a hand on it and then you know we all know you know the great you know kobe bryant and the shot that he was able to I think that angle shot that he made was underrated. Oh yeah, that, that shot was a, a difficult shot, and it hit no rim. You know, I think he, you know, floated behind the backboard and you know threw it up, and it was it was it, was a, it wasn't an easy shot, but you know, great players make great plays. Yeah.
1: Do you remember when? Do you remember when Kobe
0: Bryant was hugging you at the end of that period? What was I, he saying to you? I, I can't repeat it. I got gotcha. you. I can't repeat that. You know what? I get asked that all the time and I'm so reluctant <laughs> to kind of uh, repeat, you know, what he said, you know, so I'm gonna just leave that between he and I. That, that'll be he and I's little secret.
1: I got gotcha. you. All good. And then you guys lost in seven games to that Phoenix Suns team. And, you know, if it wasn't for Tim Thomas hitting that three point shot, you guys oh, would have man. beaten that,
0: that, that Suns team. No, that the, the series was over. The series, how we we won that game. The series was done. We were already, we were already. I would listen. <laughs> we done, We we worked at. We worked our butts off that series to you know get, you know, uh, put us in position to win that series, and that Tim Thomas three was a, a backbreaker. You know, we knew, we knew that once he hit that shot. It was going to be difficult to go back into Phoenix and win another game on the road. Because um, we did our job. We uh, What was it? We we stole one of Phoenix. What was it, game one or game two? I think it was game – I want to say game
1: one. I want to say game one if I'm not mistaken. But I know you guys went and get into game three on that Friday night, and you guys absolutely killed it on that Friday night yeah. against Phoenix. Game four, the legendary game, we all know about that. Yeah. Game five, you guys – you know, literally, we're right there in the thick of it, but yep. couldn't pull it off. And then game six was was the game. Was That's the game to go back and play at Staples Center and do that. It didn't happen. That was the game. Yeah, I, 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 I remember that. I, as a young 15-year-old kid watching that game, bro, it was absolutely from New York, too, being a huge Laker fan with the team that you had in place. It was just one of those things that was – and it would have been a battle of L.A.,
0: after yeah. that series,
1: because yeah. they beat yeah. the Clippers, beat the Nuggets.
0: The Cl- yeah, it would have been, been a great game, uh, 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 <laughs> a great series between both LA teams, because they yeah. were decent that year also. That's right. Memphis and they South, had you know Mobley, the Caveman, Elton Brand.
1: hmm
0: Oh, uh, it was they. They had a. They had a, a squad. It would have been a, electrifying. It would have been for the city of LA and for everything
1: around it. Uh, and then you go out after 06, 07, you go to Miami and you play with Miami, you play with Shaq and D Wade and everybody. And right after that, that was when the, the heat were going down at that point, they were on their downfall. Uh, just talk to us about your time in Miami and you also played for the Clippers too. Uh, talk to us about that.
0: Okay, so my time in Miami, unfortunately was cut short uh, due to off the court uh, implications. Um, but my time there wasn't, um, uh, wasn't all in vain. Like I got a chance to play with Shaq and D Wade. Um, if not, uh, he's, if not the number two, the top three, two guard of, you know, in NBA history and D Wade. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course we all know who the big, big Shaq is, you know, great guy. Great guy. There's nothing bad I could say about Shaq. Um, you know, uh played for the, the, the strict, the very strict Pat Riley. Uh, and I got a chance to, you know, play and meet Gary Payton in, a, in White Chocolate.
1: Yeah. You no,
0: know, that was an experience down there. Um, Then, you know, after my short time in Miami, I came back and played in LA. You know, um, Mike Dunleavy, you know, a, a, another New York guy. Brooklyn kid. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was. It felt good to be back in LA when I uh, when I played for the Clippers.
1: Absolutely right there. And then you wound up going and playing overseas and everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you, you played everywhere. Just about. Did you have a favorite stop uh, in in your time playing overseas?
0: Oh, huh, let's see. Yeah, that's a that's an easy easy uh, answer. You know, uh, I love playing in Greece. You know, after my 2003, 2004 season in Greece, I actually went back and played in Greece uh, um, in 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, out of all the places I played overseas, I played in China, won two championships in China, played in Russia, I played in Croatia, I played in Lebanon, I played in uh, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Mongolia, I played in Tunisia, I played in Morocco. I played, you know, um, in several places. I'm going to say that. Greece is my favorite stop. Do you know how to speak Greek? Uh I you know what? I learned enough in all, all the places I've been to get by. Like the, the greetings. Of course. I learned learned just 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 the bare minimum. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely right there.
1: Smush, did you have a favorite teammate in your basketball career, whether it be in college, in the NBA, or even overseas? Did you have a favorite teammate?
0: I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm trying to, I I have an answer in my head when it comes to players in the NBA, but you asked college and high school, so I'm going to make sure that they line up (laughs) with those guys. Go for it. No, Uh, I'm going to say Lamar Odom. The Queen's product, okay. I'm going to say Lamar Odom, and the reason why I say Lamar Odom is because uh, not that, you know, any other team that I've been on, there wasn't somebody who actually, you know, brought me in and, you know, welcomed me and embraced me and made sure I was okay. But when I got out to LA, you know, Lamar Odom actually made sure, you know, that I I, I was settled. You know, he brought me around his family, you mm-hmm. know, made sure that, you know, I was, you know, settling into LA and, making sure I was, you know, being indoctrinated into the uh, Lakers, Lakers organization correctly. So, you know, he kind of set the tone, made sure that, you know, being from New York, you know, we just kind of, you know, we, we stuck together. Yeah. So I'm going to say Lamar Odom. Absolutely. The
1: big six foot 11 lefty, five tool specialist right there. Yep. I've Lamar Odom, one of the greatest, to, one of the underrated Lakers oh, uh, in underrated. Laker
0: history for sure. Uh did you I'm glad he got some championships under his belt though? He I'm definitely he those, those two
1: championships in three years definitely helped him out right there for sure. Yeah. Uh did you have a like a tough player to guard up against?
0: Yeah, of course. Um uh, I'm gonna Who say who's the toughest? I'm gonna say Steve Nash is number two. Or okay. t- you know what? I'm gonna say you know what, I'm gonna give you five guys that were that were that were that was my tough but the toughest the toughest hands down the toughest guard that i had to uh face was uh healthy baron davis a healthy baron davis Baron davis is a big guy too yeah Heron, baron davis was six three solid strong athletic quick a handle the rock can shoot it from the outside can post up can jump you know, too yeah. To jump. And he played with no, no, he, he, had the green light. There was no, his, his, his strings were cut. Like he had no. <laughs> he had no fear.
1: He had no, no fear
0: of no, putting your will on. Nothing. On you. Yeah. You know, he, he, he played in an open system. So he wasn't, you know, limited to what he could do. He, it was just, you know, he was out there to play basketball and that's what he did. Um, uh, I'm gonna okay so he's hands down the toughest and then at the top the other top guards I'm gonna say was Jason Kidd uh Chauncey Billups Chauncey Big Shot Billups uh Utah Jazz Darren Williams yes he was tough Utah Jazz Darren Williams yeah um and you know Steve Nash of course those are my, my my toughest guy, my toughest matchups.
1: Top five guards that go up against tough right there. And those are all, all legendary names right there as well. How about this? How about, did you have a favorite coach that you would like to play for? Who is your favorite coach that you played for?
0: That I played for? Yes. Oh, hands down, Phil Jackson. Hands down. Hands down. It don't get no cooler than that. It don't get no cooler than Phil Jackson. And it don't get no more comfortable for playing for phil jackson like he's just so easy to play for like he allows you to play basketball he allows you to make mistakes and you know one thing that i t- i I remember uh in training camp uh he was he he was explaining to the guys or his team that you know he's a coach that likes to allow his players to play and he's not into he's he's not into you know embarrassing his players and he gave this example. He was like, if you go out there and you're playing basketball and you turn the ball over, everybody in the arena just saw you turn the ball over. Everybody watching the watching TV just saw you turn the ball over. They know that, that, that that's a mistake. So I'm not going to sub you out right when you make a uh, turnover because that's going to, you know, they, they all know why you're coming out. I'm not into em- embarrassing uh, my players like that. I'm going right. to allow you to try to work through it. So if you come down and turn the ball over, he's going to allow you two or three plays to make it up. That's right. Now make it up. Now he's going to sub you, but he's not, you know, how certain coaches, you know, you, you shoot an air ball, you, you bounce the ball off your foot. They're quick to, you know, sub you out. Yep. Jackson was one of those guys where he was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not here to try to embarrass you guys. I wouldn't do that. So don't do it to him. You know, and I, and I appreciated that. He allowed, it you, he allowed you to play basketball. And, and that was, and, and that's what, made me comfortable
1: and phil was notoriously known for basically letting guys play through funks even if it was for a three minute stretch of time four minute stretch of time yeah. you knew and i i've seen it firsthand and many people have noticed it firsthand if the team was playing bad they yeah. would go out there he would go out there and yeah. let his team find it and you are a living testament yeah to that smush you are a living testament to that, for sure, 100%. There
0: have been times where, actually, you know, I watch certain games now on, I have VHS tapes of uh, my games, and, you know, there are certain times where we, we, hit, we hit a funk, two, three-minute stretches, and Phil Jackson would have call a timeout. He just let us play through it. And uh, we either find our rhythm and find our way out, or you know he'll he'll call a timeout, but he was never one of those guys that called a timeout when everybody else thought he should call a timeout. Right. I gotta I
1: gotta ask you this to get back to the triangle offense, and you said it was hard to go out there for it. You know, just to go out there and try and play at your game. Hard for you to go out there and play on your game with that. Just talk to us what? about the triangle offense because there's been a lot of misconceptions uh, to it, and. You are that guy that's playing in it. So talk yeah. to us about that.
0: So I didn't find it difficult to play in a triangle offense. It does take some mental capacity and basketball IQ to play in it. And people I I'm not I'm not saying any names and I'm not bashing anybody, but it does for for players not to be able to play in a triangle offense, they don't have a very high basketball IQ. Um it's not difficult. I actually like I said it it, it didn't play into my strengths because I'm a playmaking guard. Right. I can I create up the dribble. I get into the lanes. I create for myself as well as uh, you know, um my teammates. But the triangle offense is systematic, it's pass and cut. Pass and cut. It's not it, it takes away from playmaking unless your name is Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. <laughs> um so for me it it wasn't it was it wasn't an adjustment, it was just a change. And okay, I gotta adapt to this um this offense.
1: Absolutely. And you adapted to it all right for those two seasons that you played under Phil. And he's your favorite coach of of all time, without a shadow of a doubt, right there. All right. Uh Smush, I'm gonna ask you two more questions, and then I know you're a busy guy. Do you have a favorite New York park that you like to play at? West Ford Street, notoriously known Rucker, we know about everything about that but what's your favorite New York park to ball at
0: my favorite I mean it doesn't get any better than playing at West 4th Street um for several reasons I played in a lot of New York City parks and surprisingly enough the pickup games you you, you know the pickup games are more famous than the actual league that plays at West 4th that's right. You no, know, you can't go to any other, you know, park in New York City and get the kind of crowds for pickup games that West Fourth Street gets. You no, know, the other, the other tournaments in New York City, you know, you got the Rucker, you got, you know, Dykeman, you have uh, hoops in the Sun, you have these kind of tournaments where they they draw big crowds for the tournaments, for the league. But when it comes to, you know, just like regular basketball, got people playing in the streets. They have people that stand outside five, six, seven rows deep to watch these guys play. They make, they make these guys feel like they're superstars. You know, it's the only park in New York City that does that. Absolutely. And you literally got the subway stop right over there. You got the ACE, BD,
1: and M right over there as well, going right down. I mean, what other, what other park has that? Uh, in new york and my final question my final question for you is do you have a i'm a pizza guy i don't know about you with your favorite food at all or anything like that but new york is known for its pizza okay i know it's off topic
0: with food but do you have a favorite pizza spot in new york Hands, hands down hands down i don't know if you've been there Hands down, the best pizza you will ever taste in New York City is Table Eighty Seven.
1: Okay, over on Atlantic Avenue. Okay, oh, the so little, about it. the little charcoal. I worked over at Pier Six for a little bit of time, so I I know about it. Being an Islander fan and going to a couple net games, I know that they have their little, their little tape, their little stand over there at Barclays yeah. Center. It is definitely well known for sure, and Table Eighty Seven is definitely it. Definitely it. So I definitely I I know about it. Okay. Have you had that pizza? I have. I have, believe it or not. I have. And I I think it's good. I think it's it's good. It's definitely good.
0: That doesn't sound too confident. Uh, 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 I think what would you where's your favorite pizza spot? Oh, see, this is what I love. I love
1: people asking me questions like this. Okay. Um, my favorite would and I go, I go about it like differently, you know, because You have your gourmet pizza like Patsy's and Table 87 and Lombardi's and all those joints. For me, I'm more of a regular slice type of guy. I'm more of a guy that will go around the five boroughs, even up to Westchester, where I am, Long Island. And I've never been to New Haven, but I would love to go to New Haven to try me some New Haven pizza. That's me. But my favorite spot to go to is Luigi's Pizza over in Brooklyn, Park Slope. And here's why. This guy, Gio, one of the best guys that you'll ever meet, making pizza. He's a pizza-making pizza, pizza making champion, everything of the sort. And it's in Brooklyn. It's on Fifth Avenue in between 21st and 22nd Street. The guy, if you go there, I promise you, Smush, that's probably one of the better slices in New York. I know, like I said, when I was going to Islander games and going over for a couple of net games – that would be my spot. I would hop on the R train. i get off at, what is it, 25th Street or wherever it is on the R, yeah. and I would walk up there, and then I'd take the bus back over for whatever game it was at, at Barclays. So that's where I would go. But if you want my top five in, in New York, Luigi's, New Park Pizza over in Howard Beach, Queens, Danny's House of Pizza in Kew Gardens, uh, Louie and Ernie's over in the Bronx, and I gotta put Tommy's in the Bronx
0: too. That those are my spots.
1: Those How do you my not
0: spots. put? Okay, all right. Let me ask you this before I say sure. How, you never have you ever tasted Joe's Pizza on Bleeker? I have. I like Joe's Pizza. I I. It's right off of it's right off of where
1: West Fourth Street is. Yeah. I know exactly. I know about it. Prince Street Pizza too. It's just one of those things. Like for me, I'm in the Bronx almost all the time. I got family up there in Queens. That's where I grew up at. I'm always over there in Queens Got it. and in Brooklyn with, with being over by Barclays center. I always go to, I try and go anyway to Luigi's. So whenever I can, whenever I'm in Manhattan, believe me, I love Joe's. I love Prince street pizza. Yeah, You know, I love Bleecker street pizza over on seventh Avenue and Bleecker street. And yep. even New York pizza Suprema right across the street from the garden. So it, it's just one of those things where it's just like, I need to be there more often in order yeah, to exactly. enjoy it. But I always enjoy going to those five spots just because of the fact of, like I said before, family yeah. and being from Queens, everything like that. You know, it's something that I'm used to.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, like you said, you know, it's your circuit. You you eat where your circuit is and I eat where my circuit is. Like you said, uh, uh, Joe's Pizza is right there, you know, right around the corner from West 4th Street. I was always at West 4th Street. So I know about it. I've, I've had it several times. And then French Street, you know, the, you know, the sausage, I mean, uh, the pepperonis just falling off the slices. Absolutely. The Brazilian slices, it's, it's incredible. Absolutely. And I I, I almost forgot about uh, L&B
1: with their square. Really, really good. Their square. The regular, not so much. The square, though, is where to go. You know what? I, I like. This is my final question. Out of all the countries that you've been to, what has the best what country has the best food in your in your opinion
0: you know what (laughs) uh this is this is this is gonna sound crazy because they have the best food to me and they also have the worst food it's like it's like you can't it's like one extreme to the next i'm gonna say china okay i'm gonna say china Okay. Um and I, I say China because I, I, I actually love Chinese food. Um but their Chinese food is different in China than the Chinese food that they serve here in the States. hmm Um you know, their, their Chinese food in China is immaculate. But you gotta know what you're eating. Like you you gotta you gotta be careful because you can't eat at certain restaurants because not all restaurants in China are credible places and they everything i'm just gonna leave it like that i gotcha i gotcha man but always their food a... and the way they cook it and prepare it over there is different than how they cook it here.
1: gotcha I, i've always heard about that too you know i was gonna say that how it's always cooked differently and everything like that the water here in new york is much different than let's say over in china and everything like that so new york has the best water of course
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but uh yeah hey smush man listen Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And, you know, anytime you're welcome back on, like I, like I said, you're always welcome. And uh, before we go, how do the people follow Smush Parker on social media? Because we're going to see you one day on TV again, as a professional NBA referee, don't I, you are going to make it. You You will make it into the NBA again as a pro referee, but how can the people follow you? on
0: social media well i have a few pages but my main page is uh smush underscore parker underscore elite smush parker elite um on ig and facebook and then i uh, you know my nonprofit is uh smush underscore inspires um those are my two main pages you know i have a you know catalog page that has all my my gear and stuff on it but um you know my main handles are you no, know, smush underscore park underscore elite on IG and Facebook.
1: Smush, man. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Really appreciate it. And you know, best of luck going out there. And just uh like I said before, man. Thank you again, bro. Really appreciate it. I gotta meet you in person, bro.
0: Thanks for having me. And uh, you know, uh Blessings and good luck with the rescue podcast and I'll definitely be back on. Thanks for your support.
1: Absolutely, man. We'll make it a date. Thank you, bro.
0: Appreciate
1: it.